So this morning, we are going to be in Acts chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 11. And as you're looking that up in your, uh, your Bible, let me just talk real quick about what we learned about last week. Last week, Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. They had a disagreement, right? Paul wanted to, went to Barnabas and say, hey, let's go around, let's check the churches that we went to and just check on them. Let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas was like, yeah, great idea. Let's do it. Let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, uh, no, I don't think so. Remember last time, our last missionary journey, he bailed on us. And there was a big disagreement. So Barnabas took John Mark. They went to Cyprus to minister there. And then Paul picked somebody else. Do you remember his name? Silas. Yep, Silas. And they went, and they went up north. And both doing great things, both serving the Lord. And you'll see, we will see today that God actually knew what he was doing. Can you believe it? That when God sees Christians go here and go there, that maybe he has a plan that we are not aware of? Well, we're going to see that that's what happens today. And so they go in and along the way, uh, Paul and Silas, they pick up a young man, Timothy, who had a a Greek father but a Jewish mother. And then also we learn at the very end, they picked up Luke as well as they were heading, uh, as they were furthering on following the Lord's will. And we also saw last week how Paul had planned to go here, but God said no. So then he said, well, let's go here. God said no. And then finally God said, okay, I want you here. And Paul's like, let's do it. Let's follow God. And it's frustrating sometimes as a believer because we want to do what we want. And when God tells us no, it's difficult. Do you ever struggle when God tells you no, even when you want to do something that's good? Because God, believe it or not, maybe has something better for you. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is what was that better? Because God has a plan. So today we're talking about just the ministry in Philippi. And there's a lot that we're going to cover today. Uh, Just a whirlwind of emotions and activities. But we're going to see that throughout all that's going on, God is in charge. And what do we do when things don't go our way? Do you grumble and complain? There's a handful of us here last night that we lost power for a few hours. When you lose electricity, who here has lost electricity at one point or another throughout their life, right? Most of us have. When the power goes down, do you be like, oh God, this is awesome. Thank you. Or do you like, it's so hot. I want, you know, I can't watch TV. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, you, you you can't flush the toilet, right? All these hardships. How did people live before electricity, right? I don't know. They must not have, right? But obviously, they did. So we're going to be learning about that today, and and how do we respond? What do we do when life doesn't go exactly the way we have planned? So before we get into God's Word today, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning, and again, Lord, your Word is amazing, And Lord, your word, even though it was written a couple thousand years ago, it's still applicable for us today. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us this morning, 
that you would calm our spirits. Lord, that you would remove any worry that we might have, any, any concern that we might have, Lord, and that we would just be completely focused on you and what you have for us. Lord, I pray that we would not only listen to your words, Lord, but um, as we're going to find out this morning, that you would also open our hearts to your word, that we would be receptive and that we would follow your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, if you've looked at your half sheet, there's a lot of blanks, okay? So I'm going to do my best to make sure that we can fill out those blanks because last week I messed up and uh, I missed a blank. How many of you missed some, a blank last week? Yeah, okay, my fault. Uh, apparently I didn't cover it. So if at any point you missed one, just raise your hand and we'll go back because you're probably not the only one who missed it. And it's my fault. So let's start off. We're going to learn here at the beginning of our, of our passage today, we're going to talk about the baptism of Lydia. The baptism of Lydia. So follow along with me, if you would. Acts chapter 16, we're going to start with verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, he, uh, we made a direct voyage to uh, Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right. So Lydia, she lived in this town of Philippi. Now, what do we know about Philippi? Well, we know one, it was a Roman colony. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is that Rome, when they would take over an area, what they would do is they would kind of pay some of their soldiers and military people, say, hey, if you transfer to this town, we'll give you a position of authority and just help to make sure that the town stays under Roman law and that they don't get rebellious. And so it it was a nice opportunity for them to relocate into a new area and they, had, they held some prestige, some, some sort of office, you know, whether it was like a, like a governor-type ship where they could be in charge and just make sure that, again, that they followed Roman law. And the other thing we know about Philippi is because it was heavy um, Greek, you know, Roman population, that there wasn't enough men to have a synagogue. Now, according to Jewish law, you had to have a certain number of, of Jewish men in order to make up a synagogue, and that number is 10. So the fact that, that Paul did not go to the synagogue on Sabbath, which is, which is what he did. Instead, he went outside the city. So this establishment here, this city, had very few, if any, Jews. Okay, so those are a couple things that we know about Philippi. And so what did Paul do? 
right? He didn't go to the synagogue, so instead he went by the river, and Paul conversed with women. So it's interesting here, instead of going to a place and preaching, what did he do? He found a group of women who were praying. Now, there could have been men included, but they're not mentioned here. So mainly a group of women, and they were praying. So he finds them. He sits with them, and he just talks to them, just having a conversation. He's not talking at them. He's talking with them, sharing the gospel sharing about Jesus Christ. And out of all these women, now we don't know how many there were, but out of all these women, one woman gets attention, and her name is Lydia. And in verse 14, right, we find that Lydia listened, listened to Paul. Why? Because God opened her heart. And this is a big debate amongst Christians. Well, did Did she believe or did God give her the faith in order to believe? And we're not going to talk about that today. And personally, though, just a little bit, is it's there somewhere. But both both views, I think, taken to an extreme is wrong. Because the one view is, is extreme that we're just robots. The other view is that God doesn't have any authority. And so somewhere in between, and me being a finite person, I can't understand God completely. Can you understand God completely? No, even, even as children, could we understand our parents completely, why they would do this or why they would do that? There's, there, there's just certain things that we can't comprehend, and that's okay. We need to be okay with that. There are people who have to understand everything about everything. And it's tough. If you've ever had a, a three-year-old or a four-year-old living with you, what are they? Why? 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 And after a while, you're just like, oh, because I said so. Stop asking. We just don't always know. But what do we know about Lydia? Well, we know that she was a, a business person, right? She dealt with purple goods. Purple was for royalty. And back then, they would take... Um, a sea animal, I forget now what it was, um, but they would take it, and that's how they made their purple dyes. And that was used for years until uh, they came up a way to, to chemically produce a purple color. And so she made a lot of money, and that's evidenced by the size of her house. There were at least four men, and she had room for them to stay at her house. And also a couple of things that we can, we can see is that she was a, a single woman. Now, whether she was widowed, or whether she didn't have any, any children. We don't know if she had children. We know that she had a household. And again, in this time period, your household would have included servants. Now, Lydia, being a businesswoman, would have had people working for her. Uh, and again, the size of her house lends to the fact that she had servants, people working for her. And so we know that about her, that she was successful. And also that she worshiped God. She worshiped God before Paul came, right? She worshiped God. And, but, but that wasn't enough for her to gain salvation because remember, Acts is a transitional time. People believed in God, you know, right? Jesus even said that. You believe in God, believe also in me. And when people believed in Jesus, then they would receive the Holy Spirit. And we see that, that God opened, opened her heart 
and that she was able to receive the Holy Spirit and that she was baptized. You know, so many times we like to say, even myself, and I struggled with this, no, you need to show me that you're a Christian before I'm going to baptize you. Was that right? No. Because in the Bible, what's the qualification for baptism? Professing faith in Christ. And we even saw some examples of maybe people who were baptized who maybe didn't believe. They just baptized because it was the thing to do. Maybe they baptized like Simon the sorcerer, right? He was baptized, and it seemed like he was just hungry for their power, for their tricks, for um, the miracles that they could perform. So I've learned since then and, and, you know, continue to grow. And if you profess faith and you want to be baptized, that's the requirement. And some people, too, they use this passage of Scripture, um, as well as another one that we're going to be talking about today, about infant baptism. But there's nothing here that says infant baptism. Time and time again, people with coming to Christ, they have to make that decision. They have to choose. They have to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, what age is that? The Bible doesn't give an age. You don't have to be 12. Right? You don't have to be 40. But some people like to think, well, they have to understand the Bible in order to be saved. Let me ask you this. Anybody here fully understand God's word? So are you old enough yet to become a Christian because you don't fully understand the Bible and everything there is? It? No, none of us do. And none of us will ever get to the point where we fully understand Scripture, especially, uh, specifically while we are here on earth. Um, but uh, she did it, and just going through that motion of, of learning about Jesus. And not that none of the other women profess faith in Christ. It's just that Luke focuses on Lydia. And Lydia, right, not only were, um, was her household baptized, right, not only did they follow Jesus, but then she opened up her house and said, hey, come stay with me, live with me. And it's interesting here too, the, the last part of verse um, 15, right, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You know, and that word, that term, right, prevailed upon us is she was insistent. Please stay at my house. I have a big enough house for all of you guys. Please stay with me. And we also learned throughout, you know, throughout other portions of Scripture that the church in Philippi was very generous, was a very wealthy church that gave a lot of their support to help other churches and to help Paul uh, specifically with his ministry. And uh, so those are the things that we know about Lydia and just how she worshiped God before, then she heard about Jesus, and she followed suit, and she was just on fire for God. So ministry here, right, ministry in Philippi is amazing. Oh, one more thing about Lydia that I really, I forgot to mention, but I need to mention this. So she was from the area of Thyatira. Asia is where she was from. Okay, Paul, where did Paul want to go that the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go? Asia. Instead, he's in Europe. And here he is in Europe, and the first person that the scriptures have recorded of of coming to Christ is somebody from Asia. Isn't that amazing how God said, no, no, you need to go to Europe in order to be a missionary to Asia. One of our mission agencies that we support as a church is Disciple Makers. And what do they do? 
right? They go in local American colleges, and who do they reach? Do they reach only Americans? No, they reach people from countries all over the world. So they are missionaries to people all over the world, all different ethnic groups, and they don't have to go anywhere. They come to them. And so this is kind of like that, right? Paul did not have to go to Asia to witness to Asians. He just had to go to Europe in order to do that. And that seems backwards to us sometimes because, nope, to go there, we got to go there. No, follow God and he will provide you with the desires of your heart, right? If you desire what God wants, he'll give them to you. Maybe not the way that you planned, but in his way. So let's talk about the imprisonment of Paul and Silas. The imprisonment of Paul and Silas. Things are going so well, but things change. Follow with me. Let's start with verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Wow, what a turn of events. And how did it start? They were just going to the meeting, uh, to the prayer meeting, like they did. And here was this demon-possessed girl, right? And this girl, she spoke the truth. She spoke the truth. But was it really this girl who was speaking? What does it say here? She was possessed. And it says here, right, she had the spirit of divination. And uh, that word really, we we get uh, the word ventriloquist from that word. Has anyone ever seen a ventriloquist at work? Right, I, I knew a guy, and he was really good with ventriloquism. You know, he, here he was, and here he had this dummy, right, this doll. And inside the doll was all these mechanisms, and he could make them, you know, the jaw open up. He could make him speak. He could turn his eyes. He could raise his eyebrows. He could do, turn his head, do all sorts of things. And you know what? Is people really thought that it was the doll that was doing the speaking. And have you ever, have, how many of you enjoy a good ventriloquist? right? It's, it's a good, and people can make a living doing that. And, but is it really the doll that's talking? But if you get an audience involved, really, who do the audience end up talking to? The doll, right? The dummy. 
And they forget sometimes that the real person, the living, breathing person that's there is actually doing all the talking. And so here we have this girl who's possessed, and she's saying things, but it's not her. It's the demon inside of her that's speaking. And what is her, the, the demon's gift, right, is fortune telling. And she had owners. She was a slave girl. She had owners, and they made her money. Do people pay big bucks in order to know the future? Yeah, they do, right? People will pay big, big money in order to know the future. But we also read here, right? She spoke the truth. Does Satan ever speak the truth? Yes. But the truth can be spoken in a way to where it actually perverts the truth. Does that ever happen? Do people ever speak the truth, but have it bent in such a way in order to pervert the truth? You know, I don't want to pick on anybody specifically, but there's a group of people who get paid big bucks to spin the truth. What do we call them? Lawyers or liars, you know. But not everyone is like that, okay? I just want to clarify, not everyone. But that's what they do. They, they bring their truth and they try to say it in such a way to make, it, to, to make you believe something that's not. And so here you have this person speaking the truth. And was Paul happy about that? After a while, what does it say? And I think it's great, right, how Luke words it. Paul hadn't become greatly annoyed. Would you think you be, would be annoyed if somebody was speaking the truth? No, this truth, which is true was spoken in a way that was either distracting for Paul, where he couldn't, he couldn't tell the truth about Jesus Christ, or in a way because these Romans and their gods, oh, Paul, maybe it was in a mocking way. Oh, here's Paul. He's, he's a servant of God, the most high God, and here he is teaching you the way of salvation. <laughs> yeah, right. We already know the way of salvation. So we don't know exactly what the tone was, but whatever it was, it really annoyed Paul. So what did he do when he, was, when he was annoyed, right? Paul cast out the demon and said, get out of here. And what happened that very hour? The demon left. Is Satan powerful? Yes. He is powerful. Is God powerful? Yes. Who is more powerful? God. So do we need, as believers, do we need to be afraid of Satan and his demons, even though they're powerful? No. They are powerful, and we need to realize that. But we also need to realize that God is more powerful. And can they stand against the name of Jesus Christ? No. No, and I don't know if you have ever seen somebody possessed. I have. Scary. Very scary. It was a small uh, six-year-old child, and it took six grown men. Well, not even six grown men could hold him down, and we're talking strong men. And I actually have a friend who was possessed, and he can tell you about it before he was saved. You know, he was possessed by, by an evil spirit, and uh, just to hear it, it's scary. And sometimes we as believers, we want to avoid that part 
because it's scary or, or we don't understand it, but it's real, right? It's real. VBS next week, the theme is the armor of God. Do we as believers need the armor of God? Yeah, just because we're his children doesn't mean we can't suffer the effects. It doesn't mean Satan's never going to come after us. Does Satan ever come, out of, come after God's people? Yes. And do we need to be, oh, you know, it's whatever. Or do we actually need to take it serious? We need to take it seriously. We need to do that because he's a serious enemy. But we need to remember that God is stronger. And then what happened? Well, the owners were upset because they made money off this girl. Well, not anymore. She can no longer predict the future. And if somebody came in and just took your business away from you, would you be upset? Yeah, so they were upset. And then the owners lied. They lied about uh, Paul and Silas. No, they told the truth. They said these men are Jew. They're Jewish. Are they? Were they Jewish? Yes. But then they lied. What did they say? Uh, 20 and 21, right? These, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. Are they disturbing the city? No. They're disturbing their livelihood is what he's disturbing. And this says they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. That also wasn't true because Christianity was a religion that Rome at that time accepted. And they were okay with Christianity. So Paul and Silas were not doing anything wrong. But because the owners lied and they, and they created kind of a riotous atmosphere where the magistrates beat them, and threw them into prison, right? Paul and Silas, they went to prison. Can you imagine that? What are they doing? They are helping people. They are leading people to the Lord. They are casting out demons, and then they get thrown into prison. If you're serving God, and you get thrown into prison for doing what's right, what is your response? How would you respond? How many of us, if we were honest, would complain and be like, God, why? Honestly, I think I would. If I wouldn't, I would at least be tempted to do so. God, why is this hardship coming upon me? We're doing good. Why did we lose power? It's hot, sweaty. I, I won't be able to sleep tonight. This is horrible. Why me? I, I'm doing good things for you. Sometimes people suffer, right? We all suffer. So here they are. And what do they do? What do Paul and Silas do when they are in prison for doing what's right? Well, let's read this next session. Let's read about the conversion of the guard. The conversion of the guard, starting with verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. All right, so what's happening? What do Paul and Silas do? They prayed and they sang. Was I singing and praising God last night? Is that something that's ridiculous? What were they singing? Were they singing Amazing Grace? No. Were they singing The Battle Belongs? No. They weren't singing those songs. Why were they not singing those songs? Because those songs weren't written yet. I don't know what songs they were singing. I wish I did, because I think that would be neat. It would probably be really weird for us to hear. It could have been just some sort of chanting. I don't know. I I do. I, I wish I did. But that's what they were doing. And the prisoners were listening to them. What do you think the prisoners thought about Paul and Silas? They're in the innermost prison in the very back. They're, they're chained up, right? They're, their feet are, are tied up. They're bound up. And they're singing praises and praying to God. What would you be thinking? These guys are nuts. These guys, there is something wrong with these two guys. We're in prison. We're not singing praises to God. They're in in prison, but they're singing praises to God. How should we act the next time we go through a hardship, specifically when we're doing what God wants us to do? Should we complain? Next time you find yourself complaining, what should you do instead? Pray and start singing. God, thank you for this hardship. Thank you that we don't have electricity. You know what I got to do because we didn't have electricity? I got to play Uno with my daughter. She is really good. She beat me the first two times. That was like, okay, the best um, three out of five. And then I won the next two, and then she won the fifth one. I was like, okay, we got to keep playing. We, you know, I can't lose to a, to a 10-year-old. Apparently, I can't. I think we ended tied before we actually had to go to bed, or there wasn't just enough light for us to see. But yeah, you make, you make the most of it. And you praise God for those times where you can't do this and you can't do that. Sing and praise. And then what happened? The guard, right? The, the earthquake happened. All the doors opened up. He woke up. Have you, how many of you have, have been through an earthquake? Okay, I've been through a couple of them. I actually slept through one. I was in Los Angeles the one time. Apparently, it was a, it was a decent one. Pictures fell off the walls and... I woke up, and people were like, hey, did you? I was like, nope, slipped through that one. But then a number of years ago, uh, was that 10, 11 years ago, there was an earthquake that was down in D.C. area. It came up. Yeah, I was in the building, and there were things rattling. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, but this was a bad earthquake. Everything opened up, and the guard woke up, and he thought that everybody had escaped. Now, as a Roman, or former probably Roman soldier, 
right? Guarding a prison. What would happen if your prisoners escaped? You would be killed. So suicide was a better alternative than to go through that process. So he was about to kill himself, which is crazy, right? The guard thought wrong. The guard thought wrong. He thought he knew what was going on. Because what's interesting is Paul cries out and says, stop, we are all here. And then what does the guard do? Then he says, hey, bring me a light. Let me check this out. And this is different from when Peter escaped from prison. What happened to those guards when Peter escaped? They were killed. This time, right, this guard was saved. This guard was saved because Paul cried out. Paul cried out, verse 28, right? Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here, right? Think about it. The guy who put you in prison, the guy who talks you up to, to make sure you're, you're, you're stuck, what would you do? I'll just wait to see how this plays out. Maybe, right? I don't know. But Paul doesn't do that. He's like, hey, wait a minute. Don't hurt yourself. Because Paul is there on a mission to lead people to the Lord. And throughout all this, the guard, right? The guard believed in Jesus. Because this is amazing. Do prisoners, if they're given an opportunity to flee and escape, how many prisoners would be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to hang out here. I'm not going to escape. That doesn't happen. If there's an opportunity, most people, they take advantage of it. But somehow Paul and Silas kept everybody there, and maybe it was their singing. Maybe it was their praising. If Paul and Silas got in, then they just grumbled. I can't believe we're in prison. We didn't do anything wrong. We, we saved this girl, and, and this is the thanks we get. And this earthquake happened. Do you think these prisoners would listen to them? Probably not. But the fact that they heard them pray, that they heard them sing, okay, there's something to it. And the guard believed. And he was baptized, and even his family believed, and, and those in his household, it seems like, uh, even his servants worshiped God because of what had happened, because what they had witnessed. And then let's learn, let's, let's see about their departure, the departure of Paul and Silas. Let's read uh, verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, let those men go. Right? They, they served their time. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Wow. Right? So in the morning, the officials woke up and said, okay, they can leave, right? They sent word. They served their time. 
they're done. And maybe the earthquake, I'm thinking, okay, these men, right, they cast out this, this demon. Maybe we don't want to mess with them. So please let, let them out and let them leave. And what does Paul? Paul replied, and he said, I don't think so. I don't think so. They publicly chastised us, which was illegal. The magistrates could get in big trouble if they publicly flogged a Roman citizen. See, and they didn't even check it out. They, they were so caught up in, the, in what was going on that they just beat them. Oh, they're Jewish. Let's beat them and take them in. Which helps to clarify, maybe they didn't have a lot of Jews living there, or at least a lot of Jews that were Roman citizens. But isn't it interesting how God was working everything out? Because Barnabas wasn't. Silas was. So if Paul and Barnabas had been in this situation, it only been Paul that was illegally done. What they did to Barnabas, you know, if it was Barnabas, would have been fine. Because if you weren't a Roman citizen, you could be mistreated like that. That was one of the benefits of, of being a Roman citizen. And so you have all this, and God is working in the background. Even when you don't see him working, he is. And so what does Paul say? He's like, no, no. Let them come down here and release us themselves. And what a great thing that was. Because here, Paul and Silas are trying to start the church here. And now because of that, the church is going to be more open and more accepted. Because the magistrates, now they're going to think twice before hurting the church. Because, well, we better make sure that what is done. Because if you were a magistrate, right, this was a, a pretty much a cake job. You wouldn't want to lose that. And if you were caught violating Roman law when you were there to enforce Roman law, you think you'd get in trouble for that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Paul replied, the officials heard, right? And then they apologized. They're like, oh, whoops, we better apologize and, and try to soothe things over. Say, we're sorry, we didn't know. They should have asked, but they didn't. And we all do that. Please leave. Okay, please move on. So that's what they did. Paul and Silas, they went back to, to Lydia's house and they encouraged the others before they moved on. They went back and said, hey, guess what God did last night? While we were suffering innocently, God caused an earthquake, freed all the prisoners, but we stayed there. The guard was about to kill himself. I cried out and said, don't do it. And now he's a Christian. We've increased Christianity, right? Those in the faith, because they went through this. And knowing Paul, would he gladly suffer prison in order for somebody to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Yes. He would gladly go through those, go through those beatings because of, of just witnessing and getting people saved. What a testimony that is to us, how Paul and Silas, they, they went through those hardships in order that people could be saved. What kind of hardships are you willing to go through in order to see somebody else come to Christ? That's a hard question to ask because who here enjoys going through hardships? Not many of us do. But those hardships are typically when we grow the most. And if we were to look back on our lives, when we go through those hardships, that's when Christ 
works in us the most. Right? The ministry in Philippi started out great. The middle part was really rough, but then it ended great. And we see here, they depart. Now, what we also see, and it's not specific, but we see here that this is a section here now that we're going to get to in the following weeks, is that there's no longer we. We started, we ended last week with a we, with Luke, but it seems here too that we don't hear about Luke again until they come back to Philippi. So it seems like when Paul and Silas and Timothy left, that they left Luke in Philippi, maybe to help encourage and grow the church. Because these people were all baby Christians, you know, Gentiles at best, probably not even Jewish. So they needed somebody who knew the scriptures well. And so Luke probably stood, you know, stayed behind in order to, to grow and to teach and to share. But how amazing is this story? How would you do? What would you do if you were in Paul and Silas' situation? Would you complain or would you praise God? When you have a flat tire, when this happens. There was a, a really, a, I'll say a miracle, God's timing this past week. I didn't ask permission to share it, but I, I hope I have permission to share it. We were putting out signs for VBS last week. And we got to the second to last sign, and the stand that we needed to, to use was broken. Are you kidding me? Right? Horrible. What did we need? We needed a screwdriver. We did not have a screwdriver. But guess who showed up? A father-in-law showed up at just the right time. And he was only there. We were at Ben Franklin's parking lot. He was only in Ben Franklin's for what? Not even two minutes, I don't think. It was fast. Comes out and says, hey, do you have a screwdriver? Yeah, of course I have a screwdriver. You know, this guy's prepared. It's great. Gave us a screwdriver. And just that the God's timing was great in that, in that we were there and he was there at just the right time. And we got there at that time because we ran around a different way. And just, but here's where it really gets crazy as far as God's timing. Is this gentleman wasn't even supposed to be there. He was supposed to be in Bloomsburg. And he got a call from his wife saying, hey, where are you? You're supposed to pick me up. So it wasn't that, oh, he just happened to be in the neighborhood. He was in the wrong neighborhood at the right time. And how God used that. And that's just amazing. I mean, what are the odds to begin with, right, that we would, have, we would know somebody with a screwdriver at just the right place at the right time? But the fact that he wasn't even supposed to be there. Why was he there? Was it by accident? No. God was showing revealing himself to us. And in that moment, it was just amazing. And look out for that, right? When you have those opportunities where bad things happen, you're ready to complain. Oh, I don't have a screwdriver. You know, rah, rah, rah. Wow, God just miraculously provides the right person at the right time with the right tools. Remember that when you go through hardships, don't complain. Instead, what? Praise God. Do that. Let's pray.